everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Katie Ridenauer with Leaders Building Leaders. My partner in crime, Tom Miller, is on vacation for a much needed break. But of course, I'm joined with my other partner, uh, Rhonda Dillingham with the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools. How are you doing today, Rhonda? I hope you are. I am doing fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and mute everybody, and then when you get when you call, get called, please unmute yourself. Okay, there you go. I've unmuted you, Rhonda. So today we have a lot on our plate, and I was going to start with Rhonda. Because I'm sure, you know, as school leaders, you are feeling overwhelmed. I know you are. There's so much information coming at you, and it's hard to keep track of everything. So our goal on this call is to give you a little bit of a breather and some direction. And I have some guidance for the Strong Schools Toolkit that came out. And I know Rhonda has some things she wants to share. And we also have you know, our expert advisors are on the call with some updates as well. So Rhonda, what would you like to share with everybody today? I thought I'd just give you a little bit of a legislative update. Uh, our lobbyist, Amanda Donovan, isn't able to be on the call today because she had a committee meeting, but uh, she passed along some information and you should be getting this also in my daily update emails. But I thought I would share a little bit that the uh, legislature is moving quickly through all the agenda items they had and they hope to adjourn by next week. If not by next week, then definitely by July 4th. Uh, there's currently um, a few bills I thought you'd be interested in learning about. There's a proposed committee substitute for Senate Bill 374 that was introduced in the House Regulatory Reform Committee. Uh, this bill has a provision in it that would require operators to provide parents with information uh, pertaining to public and private school options in the county for pre-k so um, if your child is in a pre-k program then before they leave they would be your the parents would be given information about the um, the education options in their county and, and that's great because a lot of times charter schools get left out of that information. Mm -hmm. And then also um, there is an amendment that has been added to that bill that would give the superintendent of public instruction the authority to authorize tax exempt bonds. And that's something that we've been working on for a long time. So I give uh, credit to the lobbyists who have been working on that, they, um, that, that'll be huge. And so far, we don't anticipate any major opposition to it. So um, we're hoping that the Senate will concur and the bill will go to conference and, um, and we'll lobby to make sure that all the education provisions in that one stay intact. Then there's House Bill 1035, it's the calendar modification bill that was passed unanimously on the floor yesterday. It's been sent to the Senate and it allows public school units, meaning charter schools, to expand the number of remote learning days that can be used. And the language basically um, replaces the authorization to use additional remote instruction days during a state of emergency order 
with the authorization for the governing body of a public school unit to use additional remote instruction days if the body determines that it's needed to promote the health and safety of students. So I think that will be huge also. And then the... So Rhonda, would that give them flexibility to make that decision yes. on their own about going to remote learning? That's, yes. that's what that that's would right. do. That's okay. right. Yeah, and then the third bill that I'll talk about is House Bill 1071. It's the one that um, is increases um, ADM, and it's these are non-recurring funds, but the total ADM uh, increase for the year would be uh, just shy of $123 million. <clears throat> so, um, and charter schools would be included in having access to that funding too. Okay. So that's it. Um, I'll continue to keep everybody up to date with uh, legislative matters and the daily updates so you can look for them there. Okay, uh, so go, I just wanted to go back to that bond bill one more time. Can you just kind of break down the implications of that bill if it goes through? Yeah, so if we go back two or three years, maybe there was a school in Durham that um, had to go to the Durham City Council to get approval for their tax-exempt mm -hmm. bonds for mm -hmm. their new facility. And the Durham City Council decided they wanted to make a political statement instead of doing what was right and saving the school money, uh, they decided to reject that request. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that school ended up having to go for financing that cost them a lot more than the tax-exempt bonds would and uh, this just really circumvents that whole political shenanigans mess and it would allow the superintendent of public instruction to authorize those tax-exempt bond packages okay fantastic so it can just go right to the top and they don't have to go through the county um, to get that approval Right. Perfect. Okay, that, that's great progress. Uh, we did have a question about that last piece of funding that you mentioned in your list. Uh, can, you, can you clarify what that funding is for? It's a non-recurring funds ADM growth bill that would add an additional um, just short of $123 million to next year's ADM. So do you know how that would break down, you know, like what a school could see from that? Any well, way to see that? It, it, am I right in saying that there are about uh, 2 million public school students in North Carolina? That's I my think, understanding. Okay, so per student, that would be around 60 some dollars per student additional. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, well, hey, every extra dollar uh, when we're projecting, you know, that our budgets are gonna be lower, uh, that, that could be definitely helpful. Okay, well, great. If anybody else has any questions, put them in the chat. There were a few that came on uh, while you were sharing, Rhonda, and it, so I'll just start here to see um, if maybe you know the answer. Uh, Barbara Cohen asked, has there been any word, any word on the state budget cuts or freezing salaries for the next school year? I know they've been talking about salaries um, and even giving teachers a pay raise, but I don't know where any of that is. I think that's been sent to the governor to sign. Um, <clears throat> there are supposed to be step increases and a one-time um, bonus to teachers of $350. Okay, okay. And so that's waiting with the governor right, right. now. 
Okay, and then Kelly Riley asked, and she put this out to the group, and you know, and some folks have answered about if you're doing Jumpstart, are you having parents sign a waiver? And then we have some people saying, well, we're doing Jumpstart uh, virtually, so you don't need a waiver. Uh, you know, so if you have another answer to that, please put it in the chat. Um, that would be fantastic. So then I thought we could go to insurance people. I know we have, we have Steve on the line. I think has Hadley joined us. Okay, so Hadley and Steve, I'll unmute you. If you'll join us, you are gonna talk to us a little bit about um, liability. So there, you should be unmuted. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Absolutely. All right, and then let's see, are you unmuted? I am now. Okay. okay. Um, we, so this morning we had some emails going back and forth and uh, between Lisa and Katie and Hadley and I and Rhonda and our uh, lobbyists. So it sounds to me like Rhonda, you got us the answer on immunity for the charter schools, correct? Yeah, um, I think the final answer was um, that you're covered. Um, Chess just sent me an email about that though. Let's see. Right. Um, he was asking as well. So what we're trying to do, Katie, is just shore that up and make sure that when the schools reopen and everyone returns, the faculty, the staff, the families, <clears throat> the students, that we just want to make sure there's absolute uh, protection for them, um, for immunity for our schools from any potential claims. And um, so you're talking about like if a parent said, my child got COVID-19 from your school, yes. now you're liable or That's a teacher correct. or somebody, That's right? Correct. And also, Katie, on workers' comp, as you know, that covers accident injury on the job. And there is an absolute exclusion for virus pandemics. Hmm. And so that would be also related to uh, the faculty and staff uh, contacting COVID at work. So okay. we just want to verify um, for, for your group, um, and we'll follow back up with that next week. Just make sure that all the dots, dots are, T's are crossed and the dots are, whatever the saying is. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is the time to figure that stuff out. Well, you know, we still have a little bit of time before students are back on campus. I know some schools are back in session mid-July, so, uh, so if they had that comfort, you know, that they were right. protected, that would be yes. key. And we're um, also, um, uh, pursuing a topic for um, for you and Tom to consider mm -hmm. uh, for uh, a cleaning system that uh, uh, kills like 98% of the particles in the air and hospitals, nursing homes are utilizing it. So we'll, we're looking to have a panelist come on and, and talk about, talk about that. So if we're something that would go in the schools. That would, uh, okay. Right now, and Hadley had talked about, so this would be a scientist who is talking about air ventilation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that would be really helpful. Um, you know, school leaders out there, if you want to, you know, if you think that would be helpful information to understand the implications of um, what clean air, you know, with COVID-19, how that would impact your school, you know, put in the chat, like, yes, I'm interested. I'd love to see. Yes, please. Okay. So right away, Denise Pesci is on board. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I think we gave you the green light uh, this morning. Like, please do see if you can secure that person for a Thursday call. That would be great. Okay. 
Well, thanks, Thank Stephen Hadley. I really appreciate you right. as always. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go to um, Acadia with Amanda Guevara. Let's see, Amanda, let me unmute you. Hey, Katie. Hey, Amanda. Um, so what I have today, just kind of to add to the um, House Bill 1071 that Rhonda was talking about. So it seems like there will be an increase in the ADM funding for 2021. Of course, we don't know how that breaks down to dollars and cents yet. Um, we did reach out to the school allotment section at DPI, and they are in the process of analyzing the impact of this bill. They do hope to have a release um, soon, and they're hoping to have something to put into their newsletter, which typically comes out on a Friday. Mm -hmm. So hopefully by tomorrow we should know something if, if they've had time to analyze it. Um, as far as budgeting, we're still recommending to clients that they have a couple different scenarios in place. Uh, in the past, we've seen typical increases be anywhere from two to 3%. So we're still advising a flat budget. And then if you still wanna do like a 2% increase or a 3% increase. Now, that being said, um, another issue that I see is being talked about in the chat that we're also aware of is the Title I funding issue. Mm -hmm. uh, planning allotments are coming in a lot lower than anticipated. And so you have to consider that, okay, so if you get a ADM increase from the state and then you lose, you know, a big chunk of your Title I funds, how is that going to affect your overall budget? So we do advise, you know, proceed with caution, even though it sounds great. Yes, ADM will be increased according to this bill. You still have to consider the other decreases in funding that's going to occur as well. But this is a pretty significant change. Am I, am I right about that, Amanda? Because I know that some schools were projecting, you know, five or 10% lower budget than the 2019-2020 school year. And now it's looking like they could at least remain flat or even expect a little bit more. It, am I understanding that correctly? As far as the ADM funding you're talking about from the state, correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we were looking at, you know, a flat, and possibly, um, you know, when we looked at the last big decrease, it was like around seven to eight percent. So mm -hmm. we said any anywhere, you know, a flat, uh, a three percent decrease, and then possibly a six percent decrease. At least have that scenario in mind. So now you're kind of on the flip side. You want to have a flat and then budget for a possible increase. But when you look at your overall budget, you have to take into consideration all your sources of funding. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Title I school and you're used to getting a big chunk of Title I money, and now you're seeing your planning allotment for Title I coming a lot lower than you were anticipating, you need to kind of factor that into your budget at this point. Um, okay. The email that came from DPI this morning say they themselves don't understand why it's so much lower than anticipated. So everything is kind of being worked out and, and nobody has a, an exact answer for, for any of the funding at this point. Okay, okay, so some tentatively good news, but you're right, balance it out with the reality that there will be some adjustments maybe on the negative side. So thank you so much, Amanda, that was really helpful. Um, and I'm glad you addressed that Title I funding issue uh, because there's, there's a lot of comments about that in the chat. Uh, so I wanted to, I don't think Steve Joyner's with us. I don't see Steve or Olivia 
you know, on the technology side. So if they join in, I will, I will add them to the conversation. But I was, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the call, I know that, uh, you know, school leaders are being inundated with, hey, you need this report, you have to file this. Um, and so I was just talking with Rhonda yesterday and I was like, you know, I wonder if the strong schools toolkit, they have requirements and then they have recommendations. You know, when I was a school leader, I was like, just tell me what you want. So I, so I thought, what if we created a checklist? Uh, so I just wanted to share my screen and I'll share um, this resource that I've uh, created for you. And let me show you how to get to it. So on the Leaders Building Leaders, uh, on our main page, you know, if you go to leadersbuildingleaders.com, there's a COVID-19 button and it'll bring you to this resource sheet. And so I've added these resources today. You'll see options for bringing students back. Um, this is from Ed Week. If you're having FOMO, fear of missing out, because you might hear school leaders talking about, hey, when I bring students back, it's going to be 10 at a time, and we're gonna do A day, B day. And you think, well, maybe there are plans out there that I don't even know about. Uh, this document, options for bringing students back, they list out six different ways you could bring students back. Um, and and they, they go over the pros and the cons. And then they there another document by Ed Week um, is the socially distant school day. Like, what does that look like? They actually map out what a classroom looks like. And they, you know, what do, what do the hallways look like? What do entry points look like? Uh, and then I have some sample signage that you could use. You can amend it, put your school name on there. Uh, and I, I received this from, you know, I'm on a principal Facebook page and they had some great resources. And then there's a sample return to school plan because you have to create a return to school plan and you think, well, what do I need? What, how do I do that? Well, here's a template. So take the template, make it your own um, and add in everything from the Strong Schools Toolkit, which is where I'm gonna go to now. So the toolkit looks like this, okay? So you have this document that's 26 pages long and if you've gone through it, I was reading it, I've been reading it for the last week, um, you know, they go through and they'll say, for each section, it'll say, your schools are required to do this. Um, but then they have sections that are recommendations. So what I created for you, and it's not beautiful, uh, Rhonda, can you see the checklist? It's just a Google Doc. Does it say checklist? Is that what everybody's seeing? Okay, perfect. So I just created a chart. And what, way it, what it breaks down is this is what you're required to do. And these are all the requirements for plan A. You know, so if you're bringing your, your students back with um, social distancing, these are, these are all the requirements. And you'll notice uh, this nine page document, there are so many more requirements than recommendations. Um, but I thought, well, I'll break it up for you. So I, I just wanted to go, I'm not gonna go over this whole document. I just wanted to pick out a few things that I think are key decisions that you need to make as a school leader. And you know, there might be other points that you think are more relevant, but these are what stood out to me. Uh, the first one, you are required to create three plans, plan A, plan B, plan C. And so they give you the metrics for what have to be in those plans. So, you know, make sure when you're creating your, you know, remote learning plan that you have these plans in there and, and write for your school because you know what your school needs and um, realities are. 
Okay, so that was one I wanted to point out is that that is a requirement. It's not just a recommendation. Now, cloth face coverings. We've heard a lot of commentary from uh, principals saying, I'm gonna require them or I'm not gonna require them. And uh, you are not required to in, make sure everybody wears a, ma a face mask at your school. We, we are required to share guidance and information with staff, students, on families on how to use them if they choose to. Uh, but they do strongly recommend that schools teach and reinforce the use of cloth face coverings. So I, I recommend that this is not a decision a school leader make alone because this could be, this has become, a, as you're aware, a politicized topic. So you don't wanna be the only one who's made this decision. So I just wanted to present this. It's a strong recommendation, um, but it is not a requirement. Uh, but you know, as a parent of a child who has a, has a compromised immune system, am I gonna send my other son to a public high school? where they don't have to wear masks? Probably not. So I know I'm not alone, um, but that's just one, one parent's perspective. Uh, okay, so now I wanted to uh, talk about protecting vulnerable populations. They strongly recommend that you implement or um, remote or other learning options for students whose families choose for them not to be in a traditional classroom. So the language there is really interesting. So for students whose families choose. So it's not that they have to prove that they have a medical issue or that they live with someone with a medical issue. A parent can just be uncomfortable with returning their child to school. And so they're saying, they're strongly recommending that you create a plan where part of your population does not come back, you know, for plan A or for plan B. So, so you don't necessarily have to come up with a, well, prove to me that your child doesn't need to be here. But on the flip side, as a school, you know, you get to tell parents like, okay, if you choose not to send your child to school, then this is what the plan looks like, right? So it says implement remote or other learning options for students whose families choose for them not to be in the traditional classroom. So you create that plan. They might be able to opt out of face-to-face, -face, but you get to decide what it looks like. Um, you know, so I just wanted to highlight that because that is something that you get to control. They control, parents control the choice, but you control what that looks like. Okay, and then I wanted to have, let's see, did I have any other? Okay, um, so the water and ventilation systems, you notice there's nothing in the required, but in the, in the uh, recommended, they do um, have some advice for you to look at the systems at your school. And then, you know, as Steve mentioned, Stephen Hadley mentioned, uh, we're looking to get an expert here to advise you on the ventilation systems in your school and um, what systems you might be able to purchase to improve that. And um, for transportation. Now, we all know how hard it is to get bus drivers, and now they're recommending that you identify at least one adult to accompany the driver. So I just wanted to point that out because I know that's a big deal. I know it's not easy to just find someone who can ride on a bus. What if you have a fleet of buses? What if you have 10 buses? That's 10 extra people you have to find. So I wanted to highlight that it is a recommendation. Um, they don't word it as a strong recommendation, but it is a recommendation. And in the Ed Week, um, documents that I referenced earlier, they have a, you know, why don't I just pull that up um, so I don't have to just talk about it. You can see the image. Okay. 
So those, so you have this checklist, it's in our folder. Let me just pause there for a second. Uh, are there any questions as I'm talking? I'm trying, I need to see the chat here. I see there are a few things. Okay, Katie, uh, how do we confirm we are paid for these kids in 20 day and ADM? Okay, well, we'll go back to that in just a second, Jennifer. Okay, so let me go. Let me go to those documents that I, so for the socially distanced school. Okay, so this is from Ed Week. It's an excellent article. Tracy uh, Riddle with Acadia sent it to Tom and me. Um, so let me just get to, so, so they break it out. Like, hey, this is what a classroom can look like. And, you know, say, okay, think about it in bubbles. Um, so they just have some nice visuals. They, here's an instructional space. So here's a nine foot grid. What does that mean? It's three feet of personal space, a six foot perimeter for each student. And then here, you know, think of a classroom in these bubbles. Uh, you know, here's the teacher at his or her desk. And then, so if you're, if normal capacity is 31, social distance capacity is only 12. You know, so when you're, you're creating your plan B, you know, this could really help you design your classrooms. And then now here they map out your school. So if you wanna limit the exposure that students have as they go through the, the building, you know, they recommend that you designate entry points and, and then the, you designate walkways, just like they did at the grocery store. My grocery store has pulled them up now, but, um, but it was really helpful to know like, okay, I, I can go down this one, but I need to walk around for the next one. Um, so they've mapped that out for you. But here's the bus one, which I thought was really interesting. So if normal capacity is 56, if you choose not to have your students wear masks, you can only have seven kids on a bus and follow CDC guidelines. But if you have your students wear masks, you can have 28. So you can have 50% of your kids on the bus um, instead of 12% of your kids on the bus. Okay, which I, so I thought that image was really, was really helpful. Okay. Okay, and that was it for that document. Okay, so I've been talking a lot. Um, let me stop the share. And what questions does anybody have? Feel free to unmute yourself or to put it into the chat. Well, if we still have Amanda on the phone, uh, we have that question from Jennifer Lucas. How do we confirm we are paid for these kids in 20-day ADM and ongoing local? Amanda, do you have any insight you could offer for that? Um, I'm, I'm not sure of the question, but as far as your ongoing local, um, it depends on who does your power school billing. So for example, when Acadia does invoicing, they send a copy to, we send a copy to the school letting you know how many kids we're invoicing for, for each county. Mm -hmm. and you can just double check that and make sure that it's accurate. Now that's just the invoicing part. Mm -hmm. When you actually receive your check, <laughs> you need to uh, make sure that they are paying you for uh, the correct amount of students. 
So I'm not really concerned on, on that. I'm talking about in the part where we're working through a reopening plan is different than a remote learning plan. They're two different things. And one is reopening and you might be option A mm -hmm. and here's how we're going to open and here's what we're going to offer and the cleaning and the prevention and the other protocols. But included mm -hmm. in that, which Katie is you know, reading with us, which I agree with, is that we're either encouraged or required to provide an alternative setting for families who um, you know, are unsafe or unwell and, and can't come to school. So I understand that and I think that that's great. But what we haven't seen is some kind of way to confirm that that's what the state will accept from us mm. on 20 day ADM. So if I normally have, you know, a thousand kids enrolled and during those first 20 days only 900 physically come the others we're offering as long as we do attendance as long as we do all the things we understand that are required is this the year that they say that's good enough that they're not a physical headcount okay and i think this if Melinda Smith is on the line from Power School, maybe she can chime in here. But from my understanding is that when you submit the plan to DPI, you have to um, let them know how you're going to count the attendance. Because mm -hmm. we had a question asked from a school, well, if we're doing, you know, face-to-face -face for some and some online, how are the online ones going to be counted? And to my understanding, you have to include in your plan how right. you as a school will account for them. Is, is that correct, Melinda? Yes, that's our understanding right now. A student counts in membership from the first day that they uh, attend instruction. And there's no designation at this time that remote instruction will not count uh, for counting that student present on the first day of school. So we're just moving forward with the understanding that they attend instruction on the first day, they will enter membership and will be counted in the ADM. Okay, um, so I, I do get that and I apologize for asking the question, you know, a few different times in a few different ways just because I I know exactly how and where to put that in the remote learning plan, but I guess the question is, does that mean we are all operating using our remote learning plan from day one, even though if we're told that we're under option A and we're all allowed to go back to school physically under option A, which is everybody with these preventative measures in, we're not really operating with a remote learning plan. We're operating as business as usual, and therefore that caveat in bullet number 11 or component 11, whatever it is, mm -hmm. does that really apply? That's, I guess, my concern is, do we get to roll out remote learning plans even if we're told we're doing option A? Jennifer, um, I think that's why the legislature has drafted the House Bill 1035 that uh, takes off the restrictions on how you can use remote instruction days uh, because it leaves it up to the public school unit's governing body. So if you write into your remote instruction plan uh, how you're gonna take attendance uh, and House Bill 1035 passes, then you would be covered. So what is the timeline for that? I think that that House Bill then of what you're talking about makes me feel most comfortable that we can roll out 
an alternative plan or a blended plan from day one, even under option A, provided that passes. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and it's been it, it's been sent to the Senate, and so it is moving very quickly through the legislature. And I'll continue to keep everybody updated on that. I expect that to be sent to the governor with you know as long as it uh, there are no huge hiccups, it will be sent to the governor by next week. Okay, I think. Do, do you know what I'm saying then? Because I think that what your that bill I think does overcome this. That's concern right. and gives us more flexibility in implementing what's called a remote learning plan, even if we're not called going remotely. Yeah, I okay. think it'd be also key to, I mean, I'm sure everybody's doing this, but just, I'll say it anyway, you should be surveying your parents to find out what their disposition is about being back in the building so that you can anticipate this. It's a great question, Jennifer. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, so just to clarify for everybody on the line, uh, so Jennifer's question is, uh, so what if the governor says, hey, we're going to go with uh, plan A, you know, we're going to go back to school as normal, and you've created this remote instruction plan where you're going to calculate um, attendance a certain way, because in component 11 of the remote instruction plan, you get to determine how you're going to calculate your attendance. And so Jennifer's question is, well, let's say if we go back face to face, can we use that way to calculate attendance that we have in our remote instruction plan? Or do we do the traditional 20 day ADM? Um, and, and so Rhonda saying this house bill going through the Senate is, is going to give you the schools the freedom to make that decision. Am I capturing that correctly, Rhonda? Yes. Okay. Perfect. So if you look at your component 11, and I do have it here, let me just share the screen. Um, uh, so this is for your remote instruction plan that all schools have to have in by July 20th. And there are 15 components and they threw in two optional ones just for fun. So, uh, so component 11 is really key. And a school leader we were talking with this week said, hey, um, if you are going to count attendance by, you know, students logging in every day, and that's what's been working during remote instruction this spring, then that should be what you put in component 11. But if you have students who are only checking in a couple times a week, well, then you need to make sure your attendance plan reflects that because you don't want your own plan to work against your ADM. Uh, you know, so just make sure you're mindful about what really reflects the reality of your students, uh, you know, so your, your attendance gets calculated accurately. Okay, so let me stop the share on that. What other questions? Okay, Rhonda, it looks like there's a question for you. Um, H1035 also removes the restriction that remote learning days can take place prior to August 24th. Is that correct? Yeah, I was just typing in the chat box the answer to that. So the language um, says, uh, da, 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 da. any public school unit may in the discretion of its governing body schedule its opening date for students as early as August 17th. Okay, so it does it does change that. Okay, well perfect. Uh, people tell me what other questions you have. I, I did want you know put it in the chat and we will get to it. I, I did want to point out that in that strong schools toolkit they 
they say to utilize your school nurses. And I know when charter schools read that, they go, well, I'd love a school nurse, right? And I hope Josh Morgan doesn't mind me calling him out because um, he mentioned to me that he was able to find funding for a school nurse and his school's gonna have one. Josh, do you mind, I hate to just do this, I'd call you out on the fly. Would you mind kind of walking folks through the funding? I know you told me it was PRC 163 from the CARES money that funded your nurse for this coming school year. Will you walk people through that to help them understand how that worked? Uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, that was part of the, the CARES uh, grant and, and things we had to, to put an application in for a couple of weeks ago. And so what we, what we had, we didn't have a ton of money in, in that. And I don't know that many of us did because it was sort of tied back in with some of those Title I uh, ratios and things there. But we had enough to where we could, uh, you know, fund nearly the entire salary uh, for a school nurse. And uh, as we were looking at um, all the other restrictions uh, that are out there in terms of, um, you know, you know, because this is probably the other piece to it in terms of you start thinking about coming back to school, the uh, the screening that's going to have to take place daily um, and just some of that dialogue and communication is going to have to take place with the local health department because so much of what's happening locally is going to dictate what we're able to do here. Um, you know, just like, you know, just like we need to have an IT person who's well-versed in technology, I kind of needed someone who'd be well-versed in that medical field and could communicate with them. So just right now made the perfect sense uh, and time for us to bring on a nurse. Um, it, it has already been a little eye opening uh, because we actually had a conversation, um, my new nurse and, and I with the health department yesterday uh, mm. here in, in Haywood County. And so, uh, and I shared with uh, Rhonda and, and some of the, uh, in one of the breakout groups this morning, um, some of the information that we got last week in the, uh, state phone call with regards to uh, supplies for nurses and things like that. The health department uh, liaison for the county schools had not heard any of that. So, mm -hmm. so we we had more information than they did on certain things uh, there with that. So uh, it was kind of interesting having that, and it, it's already starting to bear a little fruit with them because we we actually ran through our entire uh, daily plan of what we're anticipating coming into the building, screening kids, uh, screening staff. Um, and so we've already gotten a blessing from the, the, the county health department on that. So uh, that, that's how we did the funding and that's how we're already starting to put that to good use. Okay, thank you. I appreciate you answering on the fly there. That, that's gotta be vital information to folks who are wondering where can I get a school nurse? Another resource for a school nurse, and, and Josh actually helped me that pushed me to figure this out, was there the school safety grants? Uh, now, I know a lot of you are working on your SRO grant. Uh, the due date was extended to this Friday, uh, but so last year that was bundled as a part of the school safety grants. Uh, this year, the SRO has been funded and they're still waiting to see about, uh, you know, the mental health um, and the school equip the safety equipment sub grants. But if they do come out, it turns out that mental health piece does fund a school nurse. So if uh, you know if that's something that if you're looking for some funding, that is a grant that uh, was made available last year that I know they're looking to you know they're trying to get funded. So we'll see if it comes to fruition. Uh, but yes, you know, so I just wanted to update you there. So what other topics do we have? 
you know, any, Rhonda, were you going to share about the task force and some of the work it's doing with the folks today? Yes, the task force met today to share their findings on um, the 15 components of the remote instruction plan. And that had been divided up into different categories for them to research and work on. And that information will be shared by the middle of next week. Okay. So hopefully it'll be a resource for those for uh, for you to use while you're working on your own remote instruction plans. Okay, fantastic. Uh, now, if for some of you, I, I did mention the sample return to school plan, and you know, so if you just if you go to the Leaders Building Leader site, you'll see the big button for the COVID nineteen resources. Uh, you know, if you're anything like I was as a school leader, I always wanted a template, like why reinvent the wheel? So this template, it's a, it's a Word document, so you can amend it as, as, as you need to. Um, now, Rhonda, do you know who schools are supposed to submit this plan to? I looked all over the Strong Schools Toolkit. It says you have to submit it, but I didn't see to whom they submit it. Do you know who that would be? Are you, are you talking about the remote instruction plan? Well, no, the, uh, then they have to do their, their return to school plan oh, as no. well. Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't think about that, actually. I don't, uh, I'll have to check into that. Okay, because I was like, okay, um, now what about the remote learning plan? Where do people return that to? Who do they return that to? My understanding is that charter schools turn it into the Office of Charter Schools. Okay, they, so it'll be something through Epicenter, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And then there are the um, retention and promotion uh, data that is due in September. And my understanding is that's going to be submitted through PowerSchool. So, you know, so if you're wondering how that's, you know, going to come down the line, um, that, that's, that's what our resources told us on that. So is there, are there any other questions or what, you know, what can we support you all with today? Uh, I did want to let everybody know, and we've had a few folks on the call sign up. I'm hosting a grant writing class next Wednesday, and it's it's a really good price. It's $35 per participant, but my goal is to equip everybody so they can write grants. Uh, once the NC Access grants get approved next month, um, leaders building leaders will help schools get over $10 million. And I want to make I want to share that skill with you guys because um, you know we. You know, it, I want you guys to be able to do it. I, I love when you hire leaders, building leaders, but I know you can't always do that. So for um, for classroom grants and for corporate and foundation grants, I want to equip you to do that. So um, on our follow up email, we'll make sure and have a link if you haven't already received that. Okay, I have a correction here from Stephen Gay. No, we are not required to re to turn return to school plan yet. Uh, is that per the conversation with DPI? Okay, so because so the return to school plan, he's saying that we you don't have to turn in yet. Um, and Mary Jo, all all is clear as mud. Okay, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, but so just know that we are trying to figure this stuff out, so you guys can do the important work. We're trying to get the administrative work out of the way. Uh, so a question here from Denise Pesci, if you are a year-round school, can you start before August 17th? 
my understanding is, yes, I know of several schools that are starting in July. Uh, let's see, Josh, you are starting before August 17th. Are, am I correct on that? Would you mind chiming in again? I was looking. Sure. Yeah, we are starting August 5th. Um, you know, so, and, and the way that that, um, you know, the previous version of this state law that was passed, we, we as charter schools have the discretion. We can begin before the 17th. Um, so so that's that's what we're doing there with that. We, our schedule was already on the start the 5th, and, and that's what we're doing as, as far as that's concerned. Okay. We did also, uh, within that same piece, you know, because I, I, the one piece, and Rhonda, you may have some answer on this too. They never did you know, sort of depend on who you talk to uh, as far as uh, the way that those instruct remote instructional days that we had to, to keep bouncing in there and all that stuff. We, we went ahead and just created two uh, versions of our calendar with the breakdown of those instructional days with the extra five days in there. So if the five instructional days are in addition to, we'll hand them one piece of paper. And if the, if it's one where they don't count and uh, they can double up, we're going to hand them another piece of paper. So, um, I never did hear anything definitive as long as we have the, the 1,025 hours plus five. Um, I think that's covered with that. That was the last I got from them. And we'll see if that changes between now and August. Okay, sounds great. Okay, thank you, Josh. And we did, I don't know if everyone saw in the chat, there, um, AB said there are specific email addresses for turning in remote learning plans and summer jumpstart plans. See the guidance docs sent out by DPI for those email addresses. If you had that docu documentation, AB, I'd love to see it because I've been digging around. I know there's a, it, it can be murky water, uh, but if you'd put it in the chat or email it to us, um, I'd sure appreciate it so we could share that out with everybody. And it might be different based on your region. Um, now, Rhonda, I wanted to ask you, will you share with everybody about the upcoming conference that you're hosting? Oh my goodness, I'd love to. Well. <laughs> We have Steve Griffin on the call and he has some sessions that you'll find really important uh, through the insurance people and some of his associates. And then we also have uh, Acadia Northstar will have a presentation. And then uh, in addition, some of the topics we'll cover are school budgeting. We have a budget expert who will be taking care of that one. We have uh, everything you need to know about being in compliance for Title IX. Um, we have using social emotional strategies to report, support returning students. Um, planning for a secure financial future, and that one is, is just uh, for women. Or, I mean, guys, you can do it too, but it's specifically how women can plan for their futures. Um, charter school student recruitment. And, of course, we have the training for Senate Bill 199, which is the child sexual abuse and sex trafficking training. We have navigating financing markets. Um, we have how do you teach science? when you're doing remote instruction. That's, that'll be a key one, I think, for the science teachers. Um, implementing a racial equity class. That's really relevant these days. Building relationships, health and safety indoor environments for schools, communication strategies. We'll have a legislative update and uh, we have some offerings for EC, 
So there we'll have performance framework all covered as well. And um, lots of sessions for board members too. So I think it'll be great. And the, the, here's the funny thing about it that's just blowing my mind. Uh, we have almost 400 people registered to participate. Yeah. Wow. This, that means this is the highest attendance um, registered attendees for any charter school conference in the state of North Carolina ever. That's awesome. Now, why, why do you think it's so big? Tell us why. <laughs> because people, uh, you know, they don't have time to travel and they don't feel safe to travel. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to attend the entire conference all day long. You can pick and choose the sessions that are of interest to you. And it's a great way to use your time. Mm -hmm. um, plus, we made the registration free for our schools, and that was um, my gift to you because I know you've had such a hard spring, uh, and so we decided we wouldn't charge any uh, registration fees for our school people. So they can invite anybody. They can have parents, board members, teachers. Everybody can attend. Is that right? And it's grow. I mean, I just see registrations rolling in constantly. It's it's a, a wonderful thing and I'm just really excited about it. No, that's great. And thank you so much for, you know, for that gift to the charter community. And uh, that's wonderful. Hey, Steve, would you jump on and give us a little bit more detail about these grant funds for vocational programs? Let's see if I can unmute them. I got it. You hear me now? I can okay. hear you. Okay. So Rhonda knows a little bit about this. So <clears throat> last year I was appointed to the North Carolina Education Workforce Innovation Commission. And I filled a, a, another person's seat that had gotten off the commission and asked DPI if charter schools are eligible for grant funds uh, for vocational learning. And DPI told me no. And then I was reappointed last summer by the Senate and the new group of faces showed up at DPI and had them read the statue and basically confirm we are eligible. Mm. So we do 30 grants a year. It's $2 million uh, total divided by 30 schools. And we had our first charter school apply and get a grant. So was so, that? Can you tell uh, us? Yeah, it's GLOW uh, down in Wilmington. And it's, uh, I believe it's a culinary curriculum. Okay. So I don't know, Rhonda, if you've talked to him yet, but maybe we can uh, get some publicity going for them and uh, promote that for our schools. Uh, but we're very excited. It's a five-year grant and it starts in middle school all the way through high school. And uh, you guys are eligible. The bill was passed in 2014, I believe, and we just found out now that we were eligible. So always little hidden things back there, but we're just going to keep uncovering them. Well, and you're a great advocate for charter schools, Steve. We really appreciate it. Now, how, do you know, like, I know everybody wants to hear dollars. How much money is GLOW actually getting to start this or to support their culinary program? I believe it's 60000 a year. For how many years? That's five-year grant. Wow. Okay. So they can, they can do a lot of good with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Riley is asking, can you repeat the grant resource again? Uh, the, it's the... North Carolina Education Workforce Innovation Commission. And so it comes out of the legislature. 
So do you, how would you go ahead, how would you apply for that? You know, is there a website um, they can go to? We have our next commission meeting uh, next week and we'll uh, start getting this started again. I'll basically communicate through Rhonda and the association because she's the best source to get the word out to everybody. Okay. I know Rhonda sent something out when we found out we could start applying, but it was kind of late in the game. So we'll make sure we're ahead of the game this time. Okay, that sounds great. And is it a competitive grant? Are there a lot of schools that apply if there's? Um, there's money, there's funds for up to 30 grants. And mm -hmm. this year, unfortunately, we only had 25. And one of them was a charter school. Fortunately, we had a charter school uh, get the first grant, so. Okay. Money left on the table. I, money left I, on the table, y'all. I hate that. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, that's that's fantastic. That That's really great news. You don't want to leave money on the table. so. Hey. You know, when I hear those kind of odds, like there are 30 grants available, only 25 apply, that tells me that, you know, you still need to write a solid grant application. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but you, you have a better chance. It's just like the NC Access Grant. Uh, last year, they didn't have as many people apply, and um, there were only three schools that weren't funded. This year, they had double the people apply. Only one school didn't get funded. Mm. Uh, you know, so that's why when people say, well, I don't know if we should do the NC Access Grant. I said, well, you know, it depends. Do you want to grow your um, economically disadvantaged student population? And if you do, this is a great way to, to do it. So, um, you know, so we were, we were thrilled. We helped 12 schools with that grant and they were all funded. So Tom and I were just doing the happy dance yeah. for those schools. Um, so Mary, just, just confirming, Rhonda, you're going to send out the uh, connection to the NC Ed Workforce Grant, Workforce Grant information. Everybody can look to Rhonda for that. Right. After Steve's commission meets and they set all of their dates for the year, the deadlines, all the details for the grants, he'll share that with me and I'll get it to you. Okay, perfect. And thanks again, Steve. I know he turned Thank off you. his screen, but I really appreciate that. And, and Leaders Building Leaders sends a grant re monthly grant report to, to Rhonda to share with you all. Uh, hopefully you're using that as a resource for your school because I love doing it. The, the opportunities abound out there. I mean, look, there's a teacher ranger program that was in the June report. And I thought, man, if you had a science teacher who, you know, maybe was a single person, um, and could go off, they, they get their housing funded, they get a stipend, and they get this awesome experience to live in a park. Um, you know, so there are things like that that I get to find. So look for that every month in Rhonda's newsletter. Um, anything else to share with the folks today, Rhonda? Uh, not from me. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we covered it all. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today and for all of our experts, for Steve and Hadley, uh, for Amanda with Acadia for joining us. I, you know, we really appreciate it. We rely on you guys. And, of course, Rhonda, thank you so much. Everybody take care and enjoy the rest of your week. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank, thank you. you.